Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Hi, hi. Duncan. Hey there. And Jeff. Yellow. So now, now that we are coasting smoothly into episode 101, we are going to give you some 101 about the anime we watched last season, so long ago, months ago at this point, <laughs> and the anime that we are watching this season. Andy, I am an expert. Don't even dare shake your head at me. It's terrible. So, without it. any further ado, let's let's dive into it. Um, anyone want to go first? What what were your favorites from last season? And then we'll cover the ones that were not our favorites as well. Um, so I watched Fena, Pirate Princess, at the high recommendation of John. God rest his soul. Um, rest in peace. How Andy didn't write John as the one who had died in our little audio drama. <laughs> that's, that's too real. We can't do that to him. <laughs> um, but yeah, that show is interesting in that it is a weird throwback to like early 2000s, like anime original shows mm, where yeah. they just like they made a show. And if it had come out 20 years ago, it would probably be a lot of people's favorite show. Now it's just kind of a weird anachronism. Um it's about a girl who is like, you know, she has a, a tragic backstory where she's like snatched off a pirate ship. She comes of age like in a, you know, about to get, you know, sold to the highest bidder at a like, you know, a comfort house, escapes by the skin of her teeth, joins a crew of ninjas, not pirates, and then goes on a globe trotting adventure, tracking down like mystical artifacts and then inexplicably you know like all classic anime originals ends with instrumentality and then it's it's over and there's no more to do and it's kind of like a little like a 12 and done little treat it's like the animation is very very nice uh in general the show looks really good uh and it's you know, it's it's extremely well made fast food, and if that's what you're looking for, I recommend it. <laughs> and it's got some odd production details going on with it too, because it's a co-production between Crunchyroll and Adult Swim, uh, but being produced by Production IG, so it's entirely Western bankrolled, uh, but still Japanese produced anime. Oh, and it's directed by Kazuto Nakazawa. He, um, I mostly know about him because he makes really good ops for like old uh 90s anime so like the uh, record of lodos war chronicles with heroic knight one of the most amazing ops ever made for profoundly mediocre anime uh yep. but he he did that it's cool good for him glad he's still getting work no, it's definitely a profoundly <laughs> mediocre anime or at least that that was yeah. my impression <laughs> after, after three three or four episodes so what, what kept you going jeff because like for me i watched the first couple of episodes and it's like okay animation's nice uh, they they have some nice uh, comedy sidekicks and uh, a bit of decent fighting going on, but there wasn't really any like compelling story. Like as the way you describe uh, Fenner's uh, situation starting up, it was so generic. Oh, poor orphan child, alone in in the world, rescued by her father's retainers and took to the high seas. It, it's, it's like I don't know. It feels felt really generic, and it didn't really stand out as anything i hadn't hadn't seen what what kept you going i i i mean for one thing i i, I actually like the ensemble cast because like i think if, i've seen 
you know, criticisms of it. They think everybody's kind of like very one note. And, but like, you know, if you have a lot of one notes, you know, mm. together, it makes a nice harmony. And so like, it, it just kind of like, it, it just worked for me. Like it wasn't like, you know, stressful to watch in any way. There's like weird little details. Like there is a, a crew. I don't know if you got to a, like the, the crew of lady pirates. I didn't get to them. No. So like, yeah, they, like they show up for like a couple of episodes and like, I'm sure at some point in production that Fenno was supposed to join with them and they were supposed to be her like <laughs> backup ensemble because like they have like a bunch of characters who are like, you know, likable and fun, but they're the bad guys. And they're also, you know, portrayed as being like as competent as like the team of ninjas. But then they just get like vaporized by the like Napoleonic wave motion cannon that the big bad has for no apparent reason. And then they just disappear from the show. And like, and similarly, like as vaporized people often do, yeah. I would say. <laughs> but then, like at the very last episode, like a couple of the crew members are like in the background in their like mon- you know, victory lap <laughs> montage of all the characters. You know, right. and, like some of them are still there, and it's like I don't know how that happened because you showed very specifically that that show that that ship that they were on blew the fuck up. <laughs> but whatever, <laughs> it's fine. It's nice. It's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, and it was just, like, really nice to look at. And, you know, as it was drip-fed out, it was just like, you know, I'll just go watch it. And I got nothing much else going on this season. Yeah. Uh, it's been a weird couple seasons. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Jeff. I, I watched only a few shows, and, I and like, a lot of them are fine. Like, we'd already talked extensively about how uh, uh, Aquatope on the White Sand... Uh, had like a really interesting turn where the, the aquarium that they're working at that they don't want to get shut down is actually probably going to get shut down because it can't survive a typhoon. And it was really nice. I know that you feel the same way, Duncan, mm-hmm. or at least I hope you do, um, that they transition to like, they fail in their like wild dream to to save this dying aquarium. And now it's the second core and all of the characters are now working at a cool modern aquarium with a slightly toxic workplace culture, or at least a lot of factions in yeah. in the workplace. It it, it kind of seems like like we had a really good recent episode. Um, without going too in depth into this, it 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 kind of feels like they're picking characters and making sure even the most in in unsympathetic ones still have some sort of backstory which grounds them and makes them sympathetic sympathetic after all and i kind of worry that uh, it's just going to be everyone everyone has a reason why they're uh, why they are the way they are and only an aquarium can fix them <laughs> yeah that's kind of... that's the thing that makes me cringe the most or like proleptically cringe does that make sense i'm worried that it's going to be bad and i will feel embarrassed for having liked it uh <laughs> but that's just experience of watching anime i guess but i like how idealistic aquatope is but deep down Every person's personality flaws stem from like moments of trauma that working at or going to an aquarium will fix. And like, no matter how annoying a character is, the one you're talking about, the like mean girl at the office, I was like, no, please, Aquatope, don't make me feel sorry for her. I don't want to know like what sad, awful thing she's gone through that's made her into like the mean girl at the office. I don't want to feel sorry for every single person in the show. But it is very empathetic and very nice to have a show that is so fond even if it's like jerky characters can't wait to see what the uh 
what the marketing director yeah. what his damage is because he he's, he's a good. huge dick too so <laughs> something happened in an aquarium when he was five years old and that's how he's that's how he is the way he is yeah. i like the um i like that they're subverting the expectations a little bit right like it's nice yeah, to know that no, they absolutely. have failed saving the aquarium because where i'm at now like, i'm only like three or four episodes in and they're like yeah we're gonna save it we're gonna do everything we can we're gonna be the best and you're like okay you know this is gonna go one way but now i know it doesn't it's interesting to see what's gonna happen yeah next. i know i was I, when, when i think we had a when we talked about it last on this podcast duncan and i were like it kind of looks like they're going to like quote unquote lose their uh, it's not going to be Soccer Quest where they just do a bunch of random shit and they're like, surprise, the village <laughs> is saved. No, we're going we're gonna to bring an American mayor over to our village and us being sister towns is going to save it. No, there's nothing like that. It's just, it's old and your childish dreams are exactly that childish and you've got to grow up. But growing up doesn't mean letting go, which I think is what Aquatope does the best out of um, mm. shows of mm. this type save the x two plucky girls save the save the location or institution I can i make I could... a prediction Go that on. at the end of the series um they all make enough money and then they reopen the original aquarium <laughs> that's my guess <laughs> uh, i don't know if it's that idealistic of a show duncan can weigh in yeah i i think i'm probably with ben on this one that if that it feels like that chapter of their life has sort of been cleanly severed almost um i was trying to think i'll I'll quickly say about aquatope is one thing i i really enjoy about it is it has uh some really nice clear character design like it's it's got a very recognizable cast like you can i i love um i think it's uh kuya that the the sort of um how to describe his personality the sullen uh uh uh, (laughs) person who likes nothing who d- hates people and just wants to sort of like burn out yeah yeah just burnt yeah. out at college and just wants to sit in the back room and look after fish and then just hates everyone else he, he's just such a misanthrope but even he gets a, an episode where you find out why he's like that yeah <laughs> and the jerk it is it, it, literally like having like a workplace and then like learning everybody that you don't like at this workplace has a very good reason for being the way they are and um, which means that you get a different kind of gratification than the gratification of seeing good people have good things happen to them and bad people have bad things happen to them. It is literally, everyone's got a reason for their damage. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see more. I did not expect uh, sad girls at a magical aquarium, which the magical aquarium thing is like gone now because that aquarium closed. So <laughs> You still occasionally see that weird uh, tropical goblin popping up in, in various scenes and... <laughs> I guess that's that's to represent like whatever spirit favored the old aquarium is still favoring this new place. Um, but who knows whether we'll get some magical uh, aquariumness popping up at some other point in the series. But I think it's probably gone past that and for the better. Yeah, I. Who knows? Um, I don't. I at this point I can't say I know where this this show's going because it's already taken a left turn that anime very rarely takes which is that you know your goodwill and your your ganbate don't count for shit in the end if like circumstances are stacked against you sufficiently what else what else oh there's dragon maid um which was uh, great dragon maid um like 
Did you get round to finishing this, Andy, or are you still about the same place when we last talked? Uh, I have not gotten around to finishing it. <laughs> Which is, I, 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 well, Go talking it. generally about it, it's the first season of Dragon Maid it was great because we had a fairly limited cast and it concentrated on their, that key cast's traumas and working through them. Whereas we've got a far more expanded cast this second time round. And I know, like, Andy in particular has uh, not been entirely happy at the arrival of some members of that cast, uh, specifically Ilulu, uh, the uh, big-breasted lolly dragon, as she is bound to be known. Um, but I kind of like Ilulu. Like, she's, she's, she, she's grown on me over the series. Like, she started out as just, like, this, this bratty kid, but by the end, she seems to be... Uh, navigate haven't been given space to sort of navigate who she is and who she wants to be and now we're at a point where they're starting to address some of the long-standing th- things like specifically surrounding to toro and kobayashi so whether you can actually have a relationship between an essentially near immortal super powerful being and a just ordinary office worker and what that means like what what i don't know what that's an, an analogy for if, if it is an analogy for anything if if it's trying to say anything about our relationship with um things which have permanence in our lives and things which um are impermanent because it, it it ends with a a um fairly traditional uh ending for a romantic comedy which is the uh summer festival episode um which was which features all the all the typical tropes song gets lost everyone plays games everyone eats too much especially elmer who 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 are a festival is essentially just manna from heaven um yes <laughs> but I felt they kind of just dodged the ending. I don't think they really resolved Toru and Kobayashi. It was just kind of like felt a bit of a platitude their their resolution rather than actually going anywhere. I don't know how how you felt about it. I mean, I so to 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 address what you had said before about like what being an immortal with a, a crush on an office worker um feels like and i do think that the the show is about the inevitability of loss and the various mechanisms that we use to protect ourselves from the fact that the things we love will break or disappear or even change on us um and so in that respect i do like the ending as something that's like don't worry this show won't change these are this is a stable time capsule of these relationships. Um, and then in the character of Lulu, we also have this whole thing of like, don't worry, your lost innocence isn't lost. You can always recapture it by, by finding the right place or the right group to heal in. And so while I agree that it's just like the, if the final episode didn't feel like a final episode, but that's the case with last season mm. too, which is the, the refrain of dragon Maid uh, fans since time immemorial is that, yeah, like, 
it just it's 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 a an everyday comedy show and it doesn't really feel the need to answer the questions and honestly almost in it's going to be a weird metaphor but like in bojack style like it's the penultimate episode that matters the one where uh we sit down with her father and he's like i don't want to see kobayashi get hurt this world has is that the penultimate episode or is that the one before yes yeah, the penultimate one 11 um where he says, I don't want her to get hurt. I think this is a stupid fixation of hers. And I think that she learned the wrong lessons that I wanted her to learn from sending her out in the world. Um, but eventually he, he like, if not accepts her, just comes to, comes to realize that like, this is important to her now and trying to hurt her by taking away something so that she won't be hurt later when it's taken away by someone with less compassion. I don't know. It works for me. And like, I like, I've gone to bat for Lulu probably more than I should, um, because she is like a ridiculous porn character, like two thirds of the time. But I do like that, like watching her slowly, like sift into a child role, even though she's, you know, has boobs bigger than her head and Mm -hmm. loves to like tease Take with like, oh, I've got boobs. What you going to (laughs) do? But no, I, 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 I like Dragon Maid. I don't know. I, I. As someone who's currently rewatching the What We Do in the Shadows TV show, and there's a whole episode where um, she finds out that this this girl who's now an old woman had stolen a necklace from her, and there's a big fight, and the thing, she's like, oh, "I'll just get it when she dies." Uh, <laughs> uh, very, it's it's very trying to like understand our like genealogies of loss. I think Dragon Maid dabbles in it but is not interested in providing us answers just interested in providing us scenarios that trigger different emotional mm-hmm. responses and i like that and it's also extremely funny and extremely yeah. beautiful to look at except for apparently the op which andy hates <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, i'd say uh, it's bad it's bad it's very bad it's shit i hate it I despise that op still it's just not fun <laughs> just just makes me just makes me angry for like the first minute and a half. And then the next just feels like a pastiche of everything that they've ever, that KyoAni's ever done. Just, But I like that pastiche. I, I love KyoAni. What's wrong with you? I love KyoAni, but I, I, I like it more when they try and do something a bit more original than you. I, I feel like they're very much not a company to sort of navel gaze like we would like last episode. And uh, especially, I mean, I, I can get it, right? Like I, I understand. I'm not, Everyone knows what's what's happened with Kyoani. No one's like an idiot, so I get why they've kind of done it. I just, I just, just a bit sad. That's all. I just wish they'd done something a bit better. And speaking of nothing accomplished in the second season, how about uh, that time I got reincarnated as a slime, season two, part two? Uh, this will also be equally fast. In that time, wow, I wasted. Just... <laughs> that time I, I wasted know, six so hours much time. of my time watching this. Yeah, uh, they discovered that they can just have long scenes of like people talking. Like the amount of time that Rimuru spends talking to his like his voice inside his head about like just basic political shit. Nothing happens in this season. In fact, like the biggest crisis is is revealed to be uh, what's her face, pink haired girl, um, just playing along with the, with the villain's plan. And once it's revealed, they just annihilate him without effort instantly. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, this is this is a whole season of stuff. So pointless. Yeah, I think. Like, I mean, you, you can have shows where politicking is the main draw, but there has to be some sort of stakes to it. Like, <laughs> you have to be making these plans because if something goes wrong, there's consequences. Like, I was, 
I was thinking about because um, I, I I watched a show called uh, Mao Yu, which uh, John uh, recommended to me, which is about which has a lot of uh, the same uh, fantasy mixed with uh, uh, building a city and uh, insur- showing it it sort of grows up and and blossoms correctly, etc. And the the big difference is like there were always moments in that where everything could go completely wrong where uh, the despite how completely overpowered an individual is that they have to maintain a pretense of um, respect and equality with those others they're trying to deal with because the moment they uh, set themselves up above everything else then they set themselves and their thing and their town up as a target and even this one powerful individual can't keep the entire world back from their doors except in slime where he does and that's just like <laughs> so annoying um uh, yeah just the fact that rimuru is even though they pretend they're people more powerful than him between the the narrative necessity of his power and what we've seen displayed he is probably the most powerful creature in existence and so like watching him try to like come up with this politicking where the downside is just that people don't like him. Like that's the, that's the fail state that you're describing Duncan in slime. It's just that like he does something unpopular or that is seen as power hungry. That's the risk. It's just that his nice guy, his nice guy veneer gets, uh, gets damaged. And even John, when we were talking about this, even John was like, yeah, this is pretty boring. <laughs> this is pretty boring. And he's, he's been a lot more of a slime booster than me, which is a weird <laughs> pair of words to connect together yeah. but yeah just like he could c- accomplish anything he wants to and he already has the heat on him of of being like super powerful dude that people think could fuck up their plans so they want to put a leash on him but i don't know i just i'm gonna keep watching but like i don't especially after the the results of this season like it doesn't like it's literally just a naked power fantasy um just what if you were such a what if you were so powerful that you could be the nicest guy in the world is basically what slime is asking at this point. Yeah. Um, and I don't need multiple seasons of that. I it's like I've got plenty of other anime that can do yeah, that. Yeah, but what about multiple seasons of uh, monster anime titty? Right. That sells. <laughs> also, but the thing is all, all the girls just turn into human humanoid people. Like the fact that the yeah. lizard people evolve into just like completely normal looking human women will never stop being like like weirdly funny to me <laughs> they're just like how do you make oh, sexy lizard lady that's too hard just just make them a person they just evolve into people oh it's because it's, it's, like, it's like lizard it's like lizard man theory human humankind is ultimate form of evolution is what they're saying yes yeah. basically, Which, basically. I, I think there's some undertones to that that i'm not too happy about <laughs> well the the other isekai i watched uh, last season um uh, moonlit fantasy also uh, dips into that particular trope with uh, they discover a tribe of spider uh, people and obviously that would be kind of freaky if they stayed spider people uh, like half spider half p- people for the entire thing and so they give up halfway around and they discover how they increase their power and become able to fully transform themselves into humans and so th- uh, no more freaky spider people but mm-hmm. um, budget. Fa- yeah but moonlit <laughs> fantasy was actually far more enjoyable than slime for me in the end uh partially just because it has a far tighter cast like uh has a main hero 
and uh, two uh, two sidekicks, which is uh, Makoto, who's like this um, sour-faced, uh, slightly begrudging person who gets sent to this other world because his parents were... Basically, he, he is a kid of two... Uh, people from a fantasy world who came to our world and then basically get summoned back to the fantasy world where he has where the the goddess who summoned him takes one look at him and goes you're not like your your superhero parents i don't want anything to do with you and kicks him into the wilderness and his like he's it's similar to slime in some ways but very different in others in that he's incredibly overpowered um and but where it's different is whereas Rimuru is constantly leveling up, getting more and more powerful. His actual power level kind of st- sounds stays a little static. He's still level one at the end of the series, I think. I, or he's or he's at most leveled up a couple of things. Like the the, the idea is is essentially he's a class onto his his own. Like he's still level one, but his stats for that one particular thing are just incredibly high and he's still overpowered despite not having all these cheat skills which Rimuru would load up on but the the thing which makes it work is that he has these two henchmen Mio and Tomoe who are a, a dragon and a giant spider respectively and the fact that they get strongly characterized as this um sort of uh I guess Mio is almost a femme fatale. She's got she's got a lot of appetite, boys, and you better watch out. Um, <laughs> and uh, Tomoe is just kind of like uh, a willful tomboy. She she's just likes fighting and uh, is happy to do it. And it's just those this this mix of of just one person who's really headstrong and one person who's kind of subtle and. Uh, uh, prefers to do things elegantly, just butting heads and. Uh, having good dialogue between them just made it a lot more enjoyable because I didn't have to care about any uh, law which was being laid out to me. It was just about the characters. And I think that's probably something about me that I will tend to prefer uh, things where which have a strong central cast rather than things which have a, a massive cast and huge law dumps for each of them. Speaking of slime, yeah, slime has enough characters that I'm just like, wait, who is this guy? <laughs> Again, something I talked with yeah. John a lot, just like constantly reintroducing or introducing new characters. Let me keep the cast small enough that I can get to know everybody. I don't need like a parade of of peeps. All right, so okay, what else? Speaking of slime <laughs> boosting and a limited cast, I stuck it out to the <laughs> end of uh, Girlfriend Girlfriend. Um, that well is. A, it's I a, did not. <laughs> it's yeah. a bad show. Sorry, our, our one listener <laughs> yeah. who sent in fan mail. Yeah, I couldn't I tried. do that. Sorry. I, I really tried. I just couldn't bring myself to. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, the show that. is not very good. Like even just like it's just it, it's incompetently put together. Like it starts out like you know I was you know it does start out with like you know the main you know the the first girl sort of being the perspective character but then that kind of goes away they they introduce a third girlfriend and like i'm, I'm not they even, don't immediately upgrade to girlfriend 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 they which do is not such a shame. It's a missed opportunity <laughs> uh they i'm not even going to get into like the stupid 
like bullshit for like why she's involved but like she turns out to be like the one who like in a normal world would be like oh she's like the good choice because like she actually has a reason to like him for one thing but (laughs) i think what the show is trying to go for is like they're trying to construct a cocktail of like personality defects and kinks that people would like find themselves in a harem anime like you know there's a part where first girl saki is like you know, she happens to come across, you know, the boy and the other girl, like, you know, accident kissing like you do in anime. And she's like, oh, shit, I'm into this. Oh, no, this is not good. And then, like, NTR, like, literally appears behind her in the background. Oh, and I'm like, Jesus. fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, you know, or, like, the guy is, like, you know, they go to, uh like, an onsen. So he's like, we can do this in public. And, like, he's, like, holding both of their hands and, like, everybody's staring at them. And, like, the two girls are mortified. But he's, like obviously deeply enjoying it and all of his like you know screaming in class and being embarrassing is like very clearly like his kink and like it basically the whole show just goes like this and it ends with him like yelling his feelings at the second girl of like no we gotta stick with this stupid fucked up situation and she's like hooray (laughs) and that was the end of the season (laughs) and it's a bad show and like even just like the way it's constructed and plotted and paced, like there's a one episode, like this happens like in one episode, one of the girls drags the guy away to the roof and like yells a confession at him. And then they like talk and then she cries and runs away. And then she does it again and again and again. Like, it's like, like just edit this. Like you didn't have to do it like this. Like, and it wasn't even like they were doing it like a bit. Like she's like, Oh, here we go again. Kind of situation. Like everyone was presented as like, Oh, now we're having another serious confession moment. And it's just like, Oh, I I watched it out of a sense of duty, but it is, is a bad show. Don't even bother. It's not even like an enjoyable train wreck to watch. It's just not very good, but not for the reasons that Andy said, he's still wrong about all those things. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've watched enough bad shows to know when a really bad one comes along and I are you saw, trying to like, like establish yourself as the as the like connoisseur of bad anime because that's a connoisseur of trash my friend that's a con- that's a contentious <laughs> title in this podcast alone <laughs> ultimate trash heap that's me <laughs> so is it actually a, a horny show or is it kind of like it's... so many of these high school things are actually kind of of shy about about it and is like oh we, this this is such an innocent confession and we've we this purity of young love no it's like every now and then they'll just like shift into horny mode and they'll be like oh we got to keep him interested in us so we're gonna put on these like fetish costumes and shit like that but then it's like oh and now we're you know baka why are you looking at me like that you know typical oh, sundry bullshit but like there's no like actual human feelings behind any of it. Like it's not sexy in any way. It's just like, you know, it's it's basically it's just cringe comedy. Like, uh. you know, to be the most charitable about it. Like, if somebody is getting off to it, they need to like do better. <laughs> There's better porn out there. Do better, guys. <laughs> well, sp- well, uh, 
Speaking of horny I can't shows, think of a transition. Okay, <laughs> yes, there we go. Uh, speaking of, of shows, which of a show which, unlike that, is unrepentantly horny, um, I would like to talk we about the. Already talked about Dragon May. Mm. <laughs> Are we going to talk well, about Bucky? The, it's a good job the case study of Vanitas is even more horny than Dragon Maid, um, and it's it's a cent- when I tell you it has a director who worked. Um, for a long time on the um, Monogatari series called uh, Tomoyuki, uh, Itomoro Tomoyuki, um, that I will tell you there's a lot of handsome men and women uh, slightly craning their necks. And it's, it is like, what if uh, a load of Shaft at Lume made a far more overtly fantasy vampire show? And it's good. It's extremely horny as well um it 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 drills it it goes okay what's the thing about that you know how how so uh, so many times with uh anime the thing they drill down on with vampires is the the body horror or the strength how strong these vampires are or what they decide to drill down is isn't it quite hot to bite someone's neck yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and i mean they, he's someone who worked on i want to eat your pancreas too so yeah this this probably takes that 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 sentiment li- literally there's a there's a lot of biting and a lot of pushing uh people against walls and it's it's essentially a, a really horny show um with some queer baiting which can be a little annoying because it's just it clearly isn't going anywhere but it clearly also wants to do this um and it's worth watching because it has a excellent uh production it is absolutely um what you would expect if you if you give um a lot of money to a very talented group of of animators and just say okay you can produce as many action sequences as you like in this um uh, steampunk paris and do what you will with that setting and you just get all these sort of moonlit streets and uh uh sort of gleaming bodies uh, fighting each other and i wouldn't say there's any real depth to it but in terms of just pure junk food anime, it is extremely indulgent. It's a it's a big box of chocolates with shiny wrappers, and you should just feel quite happy to open it up, eat one, and then discover that you've actually ate them all. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess that's a recommendation, kind of. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not a recommendation. It's more a, a warning at the same time as as a recommendation. It's 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 good. You're not going to. You'll you maybe you would think oh well I could have done something better with my my time but equally you think all those t- chocolates were really tasty, um and so uh, it's 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 there's nothing to it you won't gain anything from it but you won't regret any of it either. Am I, am I say yeah you're making sense no worries. <laughs> uh, well how about a how about an anime that uh, you did think of as worth your time. I don't know if you're going to use that to transition to Sunny Boy or Kageki Shoujo. But... Uh, well, let's... let's uh, well, I'll cover Kageki Shoujo quickly. Um, I think Kageki Shoujo... My opinion didn't change from episode one to uh, its final episode. It is very much a loving 
look at the processes and structures and uh, traditions of um, performance theatre in Japan, specifically the Tarazuka Review, which here they uh, they rename for copyright reasons, I assume. Um, the Tarazuka Review, by the way, Duncan, sorry to interject, is... is um very famous for it being an all-woman cast. Which yes, I don't know yes. whether everybody yes. listening knows that. Okay, yeah. Yes, that that's, is, that's, depends that if they've why... listened to more than one of our episodes, but yes. <laughs> I I remember I remember speaking to someone who was a massive Tarazuka fan, and she would go crazy for them in ways that I wouldn't... like. That I would expect from like anybody into like anime, but it was yeah. one company, one stu- thing, who mm. are incredible for just the amount of performances they put on they do like a show like a season it feels like and then they yeah, just move they, on to the next thing they, be, they essentially have they, they have three sorry, different yeah. companies they have a sorry four different companies they have a, a spring summer autumn and winter company and they're all putting on the same shows but with different takes on them and and it's interesting that you 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 brought up that the idea they're putting on these shows again and again um one of the main threads to its narrative was what's the difference between a performer who just learns to reproduce someone else's performance and 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 how do you balance this desire they have to maintain the tradition with actually people bringing new takes to it how do you get an original Mm. performance within this tradition where people have certain expectations and I think generally it did a, an interesting job of uh, taking us into that, of letting us see uh, the, the way that acting, singing, and uh, just stage presence intertwine in it. And it would make it's made me interested to maybe just watch one of one uh, performance by the real company, um, just because it makes it seem like there's so much stagecraft and so much tradition that goes into it. Yeah, I know that Takarazuka has like yeah, just a huge fandom. It's but it's a it's an institution. It's been around forever. It's been around since the since the post-war period. Mm. Um so like referencing it is instantly identifiable to probably to native Japanese if they like see it in Utena or in Kageki Shoujo. Um and it's obviously bitten you because you've everything that that could uh could possibly be considered Takarazuka adjacent, it seems like you watch. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to just move on to Sunny Boy, since uh, th- this is th- this was my show of the season by probably quite a large margin. So, um, Sunny Boy is kind of a mix between an isekai and a a show, an anthology show, something like Tales of the Crypt or um, Twilight Zone, where you have a central conceit, which in this case is a entire high school class of kids is transported to an, another world. And in there, they find themselves uh, with different powers and different... Uh, the world operates by different rules so it's it's and each episode explores kind of like a different iteration on what that means so you'll get how one person's power uh, changes the social dynamic because they can read minds or the fact that one they keep having strange things happen and that's because of one 
individual like each show is kind of like a not quite a philosophical explanation but it, it's it's very much each show is a little science fiction story on its own with the sort of class creating the sort of linking material between that um we have our our viewpoint character nagara who's kind of this really withdrawn uh disaffected student he's um he's not quite flunking out but he's not far off it he feels kind of alone in his class he doesn't have any close friends uh like when someone finds a in the episode someone finds a a bird which has been uh attacked uh, on the campus he's blamed for it um he's he's someone who hasn't really found his place in high school he's just adrift from everyone else and part of what the show boils down to is it's a it uses this structure of experimental um, science fiction anthology to explore the idea of high school as this place where we find ourselves this place where we are, are given the room to explore what we want to be as adults um and also to explore the way that um because it's it's a very self-aware show that um often in anime high school serves as almost a stasis where people are constantly just never forced to make a decision they're allowed to have the all these adventures and never to come to a conclusion like how we were talking about Dra dragon maid earlier how often the way anime is is that there's no no resolution because resolution would mean they stop seeing this group of friends and that's that's perhaps what make it, made it stand out to me that it from a few episodes in it's clear that there will be a resolution and they this class will get split up that it's not about people um, getting to know each other better and uh, becoming a group of friends. It's people getting to know themselves and others and yet still drifting apart. And that that's a, a really interesting dynamic you don't see often because I think it's something which often, which is a very real thing in the real world. Like how many of, of your friends from high school do you still keep in regular contact with? Probably not many. Um, I know in my case, it's, Actually, not too bad. I have two two of them. Two of my closest friends are still friends from that that era, which is I feel lucky for. But the rest of my class have just disappeared into a nothingness, and that um, that idea of um, school as a place where you both find yourself, make connections, but ultimately leave behind. I think is really well explored and it's impeccably animated. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, it's both uh, written and directed by uh, uh, Natsumi Shingo, who you probably best know f for his work on uh, the first season of One Punch Man and uh, Akka. Um, it's got a really interesting style of visuals. The, the characters themselves, art itself is actually quite restrained it's fairly realistic but you have this fantastic background art and fantastic um animation of the power so you have this um grounding in the characters but in a fantastic world um 
and I, I, I would thoroughly recommend it as one of the best things I've seen so far this this decade, this this short decade of of one and a bit years. <laughs> um, it's it's the best thing I've seen in lockdown anyway. Uh, I've I've had it repeatedly recommended to me, and so it's it's on the list. And I know that I usually say it's on the list as a way of blowing people off, but it's on it's on the real list, not the not the how, fake list, not the dummy list. Keep telling me, yeah, I think the one the one like almost the the one line line, line pitch to the regular uh, anime watchers I'd give is like, what if Wonder Egg didn't faceplant its ending, like. You know, I was looking through our old episodes and like we never talked about the finale. Uh, it wasn't good. It raised more questions than it, than it answered. OK, there we go. Now we've talked about that. <laughs> well, because we literally <laughs> promised that we're going to talk about the finale in the next yeah. episode. And then we don't because we we're all just so sad at how bad it was. It just. <laughs> I haven't even watched it, you know. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't. It, an unfinished, <laughs> uh, even from coming from me, an unfinished series, uh, an unfinished Wonder Egg is better than the finale we got. It just. Raised a bunch of questions, seemed to be setting up for a second season that it was never going to get and yeah. didn't really deserve at this point. So Yeah, yeah and that's something I really appreciated. So it's an exciting proposition. Yeah, yeah. That, that's something I really appreciated from Sunny Boy, that it gave a definitive answer to, to the questions it was asking uh, with its final episode, rather than... It, it had been... A, with this anthology format, it had been quite nebulous and it had explored a lot of different things, but the fact it just went, okay... I'm going to answer this was actually really good um, and unexpected. But yeah, that's, well, that leads think... us only one show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Netflix has more Baki, so I watched it naturally. <laughs> um, we're getting into the Son of Ogre uh, arc, which is notable for being where it starts getting really, really weirdly metaphysical in like how face punching works and like how being strong works. Um, it's the arc where he fights a big guy in the face. Oh, but do you? Yes. (laughs) Um, this is the arc where he like fights a giant imaginary praying mantis. It's the arc where he kidnaps George W. Bush. It's the arc where he fights Che Guevara in jail. Um, and this is like the first couple of episodes. It's like, it's more bonkers, Baki stuff. It's good. Go watch it. Or don't. <laughs> hey. I don't really have a whole lot else to say about it, but it's... <laughs> okay, so rather than just leaving it at that, Jeff, like, is this ever a, 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 a show that someone can drop in? Or is it something you have to be there from day one to, to actually um, understand what the hell's going on now? There isn't a whole hell of a lot to understand. <laughs> like, if, if you like the genre of, like... So, like, if watching JoJo's because it's weird is, like, the thing that's fun for you and, like, conveying, like, how bizarre this particular choice was or, like, this weird aside where, like, clearly Itagaki or one of his underlings, like, read a Wikipedia page and they're like, okay, we're going to base this whole arc on this weird idea that I just had. Like, you know, you know, the fact that you can, like, think about a sour food and that makes your mouth water you know, it's like a physiological reaction to an imaginary thing. Well, what if we extrapolate that to, you know, being so good at shadow boxing that you can like envision an imaginary opponent and shadow box him and have that imaginary opponent, like draw blood on you when you like fail to dodge something and it hits you in the face. (laughs) Like he like, as a, you know, a warm up one day, he envisions like iron Michael, you know, not Mike Tyson in his prime. And like, 
gets hit by the imaginary Mike Tyson and starts bleeding. And then also this like small schoolboy who's like watching him is like his body is moving in such a way that I can see his opponent. And he like sees the like ghost Iron Michael appear in front of him. And he's like, how is this possible? And this like idea of like being so like believing in yourself so much and believing in, you know, your, the power of your imagination is like, you know, it makes it so that just like reality will bend around you. And like, I think I've said before that this is the show where like, you know, imagine there were people who like, when they were five years old, wanted to be the strongest person on earth and wanted to be the strongest fighter. But like, you know, I met, you know, reality eventually pushes back, but for like these guys, it just never happened. And like the reason that like Yujiro Hanma, the like ultra badass of the world is so strong is that like, nobody has been able to tell him that he isn't. And so like, you know, like it just as like a throwaway gag, there's like, you know, an elephant in Africa that's like 10 times bigger than it should, than it should be. And is like killing people and is going to like destroy Africa. And then he punches it in the face and eats it as like a way of announcing to Baki that he's ready to like fight him for reals now. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's getting to a point where it becomes, yeah, like it's just Sorry, it's so fucking he, weird. He punches, it's a, an, he punches a massive elephant and then Baki somehow he knows punches, that. How? Well, because it's, because it's world news and the military <laughs> right. comes the, and the finds The killer elephant is dead. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. It's, and so like, so like the world is like interviewing this like gamekeeper from Africa who's like, you know, are you expecting, you expect us to believe this, but then like, you know, the the military dude who like hangs out with uh Yujiro comes and finds Baki and is like, Did you see his message to you? And he's like, It's time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he decides, like, what's the strongest thing that I can imagine? It's a praying mantis the size of a man, and then he like f- spends an episode fighting an imaginary praying mantis to like prepare himself to fight Yujiro. So he then does go and fight Yujiro, right? He's not, uh, he will eventually oh, fake first. Like this, this season is like in even, j- like he like he's just in fighting invisible fuckers for like a whole season. Well, <laughs> he does. Well, he does that for like the first couple of episodes, and then he like kidnaps George W. Bush so that he could be put in in the for jail what? that like yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so he could so he'd be put in the jail with Biscuit Oliver and also Che Guevara, <laughs> and then he fights them. And then like and this season is him fighting those guys, and then next season is going to be the caveman who like fought t-rexes is the guy he's gonna fight because inagaki heard about some microbes that got resurrected after being found in like salt crystals or something so he's like well what if there was a whole guy in there and (laughs) is it actually george w bush and is it actually Uh, i mean like i mean it's 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 actually it's actually george m bush (laughs) yeah yeah well, it's like, it's like Bosch and like, you know, it's the same way that like Iron Michael is Mike Tyson, but he's not Mike Tyson. It's the same way right. that like Muhammad Ali in the last arc was, you know, not Muhammad Ali. You know, it's like, just like, you know, random guys that you know of from history sort of plucked out of time and then like inserted into this world of like weird badasses. Yeah, because because I mean, Che Guevara, I guess you can argue is a badass, but he doesn't fight like he He's but a, he does in this world. Yeah, in this world, everyone, <laughs> everyone who's strong or powerful is a fighter. It feels like is the, the enough. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they say that there's like there's like three people on Earth who like the world GPS system is secretly to keep track of these guys. And when your GPS fucks up, it's because one of those guys like got a little bit too lively and they had to get all the satellites to like move around to point at them better. <laughs> 
<laughs> what? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. So why it's just, it's just a show about like stupid excess and yeah. you and like it's I I enjoy it and I think it's fun. I think I, I I will generally say that I prefer reading it because I would say there's probably about ten or twelve chapters per episode that get adapted in this, and you could read ten chapters of Baki in like five minutes instead of twenty five minutes plus credits. Also, when you and read so, like, Baki, if... you don't have to come on this show and talk to us about it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I I wanted to make this short that you guys started asking questions. This is on you. <laughs> so yeah, savage. it's there. Go watch it or don't. Time for a break. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and take a break. Get the wind back in back in our lungs, and then and then start with a start with the current season of anime that we're watching. Go through Sorry, that. Jeff. It'll be a good time. <laughs> I thought that was really savage. I'm very sorry, And we're back. Now we are here for the fall 2021 season. Am I right? Am I right? Right. Yes. You're right. right. One day you will be confident about you can, that. You can, def- you can definitely tell that I've done over 100 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> uh, to start with, let's go ahead and do the one show that kind of bridged the seasons. Um, because the great Jahisama ha- will not be defeated. Uh, started a while ago. Um, much delayed uh from the from the summer season uh but um so yeah august uh was when it started and we're now up to 13 episodes and i was excited about this because apparently it's memed about on the internet a lot um where this this former demon lord uh gets like defeated and banished to our world where she is a tiny girl who can only periodically transform into her former form and she is trying to find the pieces of her like magical crystal to regain power and get back. And there's just like a lot of gags about how humiliating and pathetic her life is where she can't make money, has no authority. No one respects her. Uh, she mostly <laughs> spends her time uh, exhausted from working or like sad and lonely and miserable. And it's not that good. I don't think it's that good. It's an example of a of a poor four coma adaptation where there's not really a sense of a world because it's just one offs of like single situations that don't feel very connected to each other. There's a, a large cast growing larger, but those characters also rarely interact with each other. And so even when you do have a good character like the magical girl who defeated her who comes to this world to uh do stuff, track her down, among other things. Uh, she's great, but then she's only in like certain scenes and then the rest is just like her fighting with her boss or her fighting with her landlord, uh, or Mm. her puffing herself up in front of her former subordinate who has a very funny premise where she's doing a better job of collecting the shards of the gem, uh, than Jahi is, uh, but that never seems to go anywhere or have any payoff. It's just, 
it's really funny how like some of my favorite shows are based on four coma and also like some of the worst anime I've watched are based on four coma. And it's just like, whether you know how to weave this series of comic strips into a full story or whether you're just like, Oh cool. So we'll just like put all of these next to each other and there's our storyboard. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There also I mean, feels like there's budget limitations to Jahe. Like there's, mm-hmm. it's not really a well animated show. Like there's the scenes where they have, uh, real opportunity to do something with the animation and they just take the most basic the most limited approach possible like they have the this one scene in an episode i watched recently where uh her next door neighbor uh to this tiny crappy little flat where she lives in is playing loud music late late at night and she's been woken up by it and we don't get any sort of visual representation of like how loud this music is and like i i think back to shows like um dmc and like how they managed to get the sort of feel of uh like metal conveyed both with imagery and with um the uh the music itself whereas here you just get this muffled sound behind a wall and her banging a tin and looking angry and it just it feels like there must have been more to that to the the panels because is what we see in the actual show is nothing really. Yeah, I I do think that they rely a lot on the main character's vocal performance, and to her credit, Naomi Ozora um, is very good at just screaming at the top of her lungs like a like a little brat. But I need more like. She was Uzaki in Uzaki-chan, and she is better, like, she... That performance is also good, but it also has, like, a good performance to anchor it. But, like, her her landlord is just kind of, like, classic, mean, mean, uh, lazy, sloppy girl. And then she has nice, patient, motherly boss, and just... There's not a lot of... It just there's not the pieces just don't come together. That's why he just keep coming back to um, they're individually good things, but they're not they're They feel disjointed and they're not used uh, to the best of their ability. They often the one good thing is used to pave over the like the weaker parts of a scene or even a whole episode rather than being lifted up with a better holistic presentation. Um, I can't believe that this thing gets too core after like so much stuff out there doesn't get anything. But um yeah, we'll see. It's occasionally very funny, mostly when the magical girl shows up. Yeah. But usually it's kind of just like, oh, that happened. It's definitely like on the bottom of my list of things to watch yeah, you, uh, when you, it comes you, out. You talked about like how um, Aquatope sort of exceeded your expectations, whereas this and this is really making use of its, its two core, whereas this feels just like stretched. Like this... To, too little butter over too much bread, as, as they say. <laughs> Moving on from a four, a four coma that you didn't like to a four coma that I'm in very much enjoying. Uh, Komi-san uh, is finally mm. out. And oh boy, is it a fucking delight. I am so mm-hmm. glad this got the love and adoration this series has been needing. Uh, it's it's been on the cards for a long time. I think everybody is, knows of the the manga by now. Nope. But <laughs> holy shit, does uh, well you you must have heard of it. Um, nope. <laughs> but well, you're. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, it, it was one of those situations where it was announced and like everybody was like, oh, this is something that people have been talking about nonstop. And I'm like, this is the first I've heard of it, but I will take your word for it. I'm it not is. in the circles of people who talk it, about manga they want to adapt because that's I, a depressing subject for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I know Jeff <laughs> reads it, but it's in the hundreds of yeah. chapters right now, I believe, right? 300 plus, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, and they're just starting the third season of high school. <laughs> so, it's got like, so it's probably going to go for another 150 at least. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's got a, long, a lot of, uh, of, of source material. Um, I'll be interested to see how they go, because right now the pace is fairly slow. Um, I've read the first volume, which even then is only about 10, maybe 20 chapters. I can't remember, because they're quite short. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. like... That is, uh, that is, the, that is, you know, they don't think they've even finished that in the anime adaption of the last two episodes. So they've got loads to adapt. But story is basically, uh, there's a, a, a pretty cute girl called Komi who um, has a communication disorder where she can't commu- commu- uh, communicate to anyone. Then a average person who says that his main speciality is that he can read the room. The joke being <laughs> that he can't. Um, called. Uh, uh, Tadano um, finds out that she has this communication disorder um, by, a, I thought, a really beautifully done scene on a whiteboard. Like, you read the manga and it's like a double page spread of them, like, writing on the board. So she, they communicate basically eventually by writing on a whiteboard, like, thoughts and feelings. And it's a really sweet scene in the manga and it's a really sweet scene in the anime too. It, it was really mm-hmm. heartfelt. It really showed like her finally being able to talk to and communicate to someone and then her him being able to talk to someone who doesn't hate him generally because obviously he's also kind of hated for being for having that traditional like bad joke at the beginning on top of which he's also now a friend of Komi-san which also causes the ire of all the other students because they adore her like unequivocally even though yeah, she she's like an Ojo She's like an Ojo at the school. Like people assume that she's like high class and like very, very yeah. cultured. And she's not talking to people because she's just like this wonderful <laughs> groomed lady. But in fact, she has never talked to anybody besides her family in her entire life, I think is the yeah. implication. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like this is a show of extremes. Like even Tadno, who is the average guy, there's like a running gag throughout the entire manga where like when any situation comes when there's like ranking or anything like that he's always like you know perfectly in the middle you know he gets his report card and all of his uh grades are the exact average of the entire class and and you know similarly like you know like you were saying like komi-san is like you know an otherworldly being you know in terms of like how people view her like she walks down the street and everybody's always like you know in quiet like hushed awe of her and you know like you know, like you know, birds will like land on her like hands and like start tweeting on the inside she's a you know she's just a normal girl trying to get out kind of yeah. thing and the rest of the show is also and the, like, and it's weird because like they set up the first couple of episodes or at least I've I've only seen the first episode actually but like they set it up like it's like oh he's going to be like the butt of like everybody's like cruelty and everything else but the show like the manga it 
becomes just very nice and very warm and very sweet where like you know all of the weirdos because like you know the other conceit of the show is that there like the whole school <laughs> yeah like like they're, at the end of the first episode they re- they reveal that this like elite private school the way you get in is entirely based on an interview and the teachers who are making the judgments only admit people who are like deeply bizarre as a joke and so you have the like is it a you joke? know the extreme is it, is it I, just... I, I think i think they it might it might have just been the like in the like the fan translation that i read where it was just like oh they did it as a gag but like you have like you know there's a girl who's like dressed in knight's armor and there's yeah. a, a you know there is the like you know the girl who is basically sadako from the ring and you know the, the, all these like weird one note gags but then like as it goes like they all get their own sort of like you know relationships with each other and jokes and running gags and it's just like it's a very lovingly crafted mm. put together series like on top of it just being like funny and sweet it's just it's very very engaging and yeah. good and i'm excited for more I, of it yeah uh, i attack it for a moment <laughs> since you're, uh, you're being so positive i mean if you want to be wrong so, go ahead. So, yeah i mean if you what, dare what attack commie san how the what, fuck's wrong with you what makes this this more <laughs> than just a, a silent voice with all the sharp edges filed off and replaced with um he, he, broad humor like it's what well, it doesn't make it that <laughs> i mean i mean what if that was good actually yeah i like if, 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 if you're saying this this concept exists in a different genre welcome to anime like is, is yeah. probably my response i i mean i i'm impressed by it i like the art style especially like how komi-san is drawn how she has this like ridiculous like sharp-eyed beauty but whenever she like is in a moment of like social confusion like her weird cat like bug-eyed cat face that she gets is extremely good i do wonder about the tone because in the first episode alone we have like the the like kind of like slice of life school gag comedy we have the beautiful soaring piano scene where they're writing to each other on the chalkboard um and then we at the end we have like and this is also like the super elite school where like all a bunch of weirdos (laughs) come and no one has any friends uh and i'm curious to see if i mean anime likes that kind of mixed tone and i'm looking forward to seeing if it enhances the concept swinging back and forth between like sympathizing with Comey's situation and to a lesser extent the potato coon situation um and having these dramatic dramatic heartfelt moments and having goofy comedy moments uh which usually involve someone talking to uh to Comey and her freaking out or freezing up and and yeah the weird kind of like slightly shown in battler feel of this is this is an elite school full of weirdos who are the hardest people in Japan to befriend is the is the implication at the end of the first episode? But, so we'll see. I, I would say it's 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 like seventy twenty ten <laughs> of like what you just described. It's mostly just goofy comedy. The that 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 part of the end, I think, is just like a weird conceit to like explain why these like weird fuck ups are in this elite school. See this that and that to, like that to me feels like it would be better to have the audience discover that with the characters. Yeah, uh, but I, I don't, know. I don't who knows, remember who that. Who knows what the adaptation? I was going to say, I don't remember peeing that in the manga, but I mean, Jeff said that he read it, so I, I'll take his word. I genuinely forgot. Um, Apparently, ac- according to Jeff, it it doesn't come up that much after they, they've set it up, so... No. And it it's it's up. mostly just there so they can have jokes. Yeah. I would also say, 
as a Netflix adaption, it is sorely lacking because a lot of the jokes for Komi-san is sort of, because he doesn't speak, there's like a lot of speech bubbles that are pointing to her. And it feels like so far, a lot of that just has not been translated um, by the Netflix. It could be because, uh, which is just a, a, a lost opportunity. Yeah, I think that the someone had been talking and they said that like they when it comes to on-screen text they only translate what is needed to be understood to get the joke. So like side jokes, the classic uh Sanrosetsu sensei thing of just having like a joke on the chalkboard that is on its own, that sort of thing. I think that they've kind of they've kind of ignored that. I have Please don't arrest me, but I have gone with fan subs <laughs> that that translate all of the jokes because I am fine with pausing. I I cut my teeth on Sinners at Sensei and and recently watched Tatami Galaxy, so I'm I'm ready for like on screen <laughs> text jokes. Yeah, yeah, and they, every character with like a weird deal also has like a big pun name that I'm assuming is never going to be explained. Even in the like even like the ones that I saw, like it was just you know, translator notes scribbled in the side, like, by the way, this guy's name, you know, this girl's name means Princess Knight, and that's why she's wearing, <laughs> you know, yeah. armor for no apparent reason. Osana like, Najimi, uh, a childhood friend. It? Yeah, a childhood friend was about yeah. to say, yeah. I would also <laughs> recommend, if if you guys, the closest thing this uh, reminds me to is, is Handakun, which is that weird sort of spin-off of Barakamon, which was before he went to um, find the child and, and punch his protege and all this kind of shit it was him Are you sure you don't mean Barakamon or Barakamon uh, Barakamon Barakamon he said yeah what did I say yeah that's what I said Barakamon <laughs> Barakamon Agatari yeah. Barakamon Agatari anyway um... <laughs> I know we're gonna talk about Sakagon later <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah no that that's a really funny show as well and it sort of has a similar thing where everybody loves and adores Handakun for being an amazing artist and calligraphy guy and and then um, he just thinks that everybody hates him, and it's really funny. I, I would really strongly recommend that. Might be after. too relatable for me. <laughs> <laughs> My depression uh, largely manifests in thinking that everyone hates me. So <laughs> yeah, I, I and I kind of maybe it touches with that, but it, it's and th- then what happens? I mean, unlike probably your depression, Ben. No offense. Um, there is a fan club that's generated for Handicap. By, by his people who just love and adore him. And so it's not actually about Handakun, it's about the group of people who form this fan club about Handakun. And then he they do a thing and they just cut to his reaction is just like, why why are they bullying me like this? Like, why are they asking for my inter- thing, like doing all this weird stuff? It's like, why are they stealing my stuff? Like, that's not on. <laughs> it's, it's a good show. <laughs> I really recommend it. Uh, speaking of, of bullying that looks like affection, uh, I'm watching Senpai Ga Uzai Kohai no Hanashi, uh, or My Senpai is Annoying, which feels like it has a lot more words than, a lot fewer (laughs) words than the Japanese title. Surely some cultural, uh, textures being lost there. Um, this is a very straightforward anime. Yeah. I I mean, to (laughs) be fair, the translation's pretty accurate. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but... Yeah, it's about this little short girl who is the like junior employee to this like big fucking JoJo's brick house <laughs> guy uh, who is her like her who's like her senior, uh, mm-hmm. and they just annoy each other a lot. Except he like gives like a big hearty laugh, and she like screams and frets and. 
feels that she's not being taken seriously. And I watched this get like a pretty big drubbing at Anime News Network, but I pretty I enjoy it. It's yeah, it's, I, I'm enjoying density, it the, too. The density of jokes isn't great, but just like the texture of the office, it has an amazing OP, probably better than the show mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and yep. just like her, and also, yeah, her confessing to him at the end of the first episode already just like gets me fucking jized because I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> No confession in episode seven of a twelve episode series. They are they are gonna set up the yeah. like stupid romantic tension in episode one, which he just ignores. Like the next few episodes, like nothing really comes of it. She's embarrassed by it and is trying to prove herself. But otherwise, yeah, I it's mean, cute. That... It's a workplace comedy, which I like because it features an adult or adults. Anything to get away from high school. It features an infantile adult, low Ben. Like you can't say that they're they're depicting her as the most adult person in the the room like they yeah she is kind of like a, a 12 year old got a job uh I, I it's there's a distinction between like her inner life and her like outer signs of stuff like the the most recent episode that i watched about like her trying to buy a thank you tie uh for her senpai and like being worried about not giving it to him on christmas eve which is like a time for lovers so mm-hmm. i don't know I, I do get that, and actually, that's the reason that a- Anime News Network didn't like is like, oh, it's a, it's an infantilized main character, so this feels kind of pedo. Uh, I don't get that, but I can get why people uh, would be turned off by it. If anything, it's more just kind of like a, a very, I don't want to say midget. What's the right word? <laughs> uh, a little person. Little person. Yeah. That's the word. <laughs> I mean, she comes. She 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 comes up to she comes up to his crotch. It's it's it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. He is like a fucking refrigerator, and she is and she is like a tiny little anime girl. So I, it's yeah. It seems like one of those things where it's like it's kind of implied that that's her like self image. Yeah, because she's yeah. surrounded by yeah. like all of these other like women that she's comparing herself unfavorably to. Like, you know, unfortunately for a show that is pretty good, like the almost the first gag is like a boob comparison joke soft-spoken ara ara yeah. like office lady who like all the other guys in the office love except for of course senpai who's like seems to be like <laughs> borderline asexual in that he like doesn't notice anything about women and he's just like this perfectly gentlemanly like affable older guy like maybe maybe it's just that he's like because like all the other guys are kind of portrayed as being like in their early 20s and he's more like mature yeah. and cool I- I mean, that's the other side of the story that you are missing. Like, Torko, the, the Ara Ara lady, Torko, uh, and Sorta, their relationship grows and becomes uh, sort of more fermented into an actual uh, considered, like, relationship. Uh, and that is, like, very satisfying and enjoyable to watch. Um, <clears throat> so, and I believe that other characters, my, uh, my wife is a m- big fan of the manga, so she was very excited to see this animated. Uh, and she she's very excited for some of the other prospects of the other characters that are going to come up later. Uh, so yeah, I I, I already I is... already like the I already like the one girl who the only joke we've seen her make is where she's like where she's like oh I just drink this at work and it's like a bottle of vodka and she's like don't worry there's water in it and then she's like. Ch- <laughs> 
that is not a joke I'm used to seeing in anime comedies. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, you can't, you can't drink vodka at work. It's like, oh, no, it's water. Glug, glug, glug. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Su- uh, Sukishiro, I think her name is. Um, yeah, like the deadpan, dead sure. fish eye like, look of the girl. Yeah, she was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very good. Very good show. I enjoy it a lot. Uh, I'm looking forward yeah, to seeing I- where it will go. I don't. I don't need to have like a like a sets my life on fire comedy. I just want like a low key workplace thing. And I know Duncan is probably disappointed that it's not Wotakoi. Um, but Wotakoi <laughs> is, I think, a high bar. And this is. I'm willing to take a B B minus comedy, especially mm-hmm. after last season. Jesus, especially while watching Jahu, which is a which is a D minus comedy. Can I then jump into yes. something that I think might actually. Um be really good this season uh i've been watching Muvlove love alternative which is a hard <laughs> fucking sell i get that so it's had a long and storied history of like anime adaptation because it was originally a uh, like an eroge light novel but then which is really basic and boring and by the books like you go to a school and then you you romance girls but it's a bit weird they're all a bit eccentric and kooky your normal shit and then they released this thing called Muv Love Alternative, which was actually in the same game, but only when you finish it the first time around, which was um, it's set in a, a parallel universe where aliens have taken over, but the main character's been uh, like transferred from this previously that's like a romance harem anime and is now like in this heavy war anime where they're taken over by massive aliens and the aliens are fucking dumb, but I kind of love them. Um, and uh, it's actually surprisingly good and in-depth. And they've already tried to do a manga and anime adaptation, but they thought we won't adapt the original story that's in the light novel. Instead, we'll just do a totally different thing and call it Muv Love Alternative uh, Solar Eclipse. Uh, and uh, it was bad and people were very angry um, because not everyone wanted to play like a 40-hour visual novel and just wanted to get to the good bit of the visual novel, which is understandable. Um, so this is finally the adaptation of the good part of a visual novel that's been around for about 10 years. Um, <clears throat> brief synopsis is aliens have taken over the planet. This guy has already gone through this life of being in an army and trying to fight off the aliens uh, meanwhile, there was, was a plan called uh, Alternative 5 um, launched all the amazing humans to space, leaving the rest of the planet uh, alone and, you know, admitted defeat to these alien race. Um, and then this guy dies and goes back in time to before Alternative 5 was re- uh, was launched and he's trying to stop it. <laughs> and it sounds pretty... Um, yeah, you lost me. I'm sorry. It, I'm sure it it's sounds, good. <laughs> it sounds it. I I will maintain that I, I'm not going to re- heartily recommend it, but I am watching it and enjoying it thoroughly. And then if it at the end, if it doesn't completely drop the ball, I'll say yeah, yeah, this is a good show that I'm I I would recommend um, because right now it's actually pretty pretty good. It's pretty fun. It's pretty interesting. The animation's um very good as well. Like it, it doesn't really look that shoddy the everything is animated pretty nicely and the action is pretty good too the mechas are cool and the aliens are stupid but it's fun to see them die uh yeah i'm enjoying it uh (laughs) if you 
if you have absolutely no relationship to Muv Love before watching this anime, will it be remotely watchable? Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Like you, you don't need to know. They reference in the second episode. They reference the visual novel as a thing where he was just like, "This is where I was two lifetimes ago. I was in this visual novel, and now I'm here, and it's hell, and I hate it." Uh, it it's you don't need to watch. You don't need to read anything else. In anything, the actual visual novel also understands this because you don't even need to play the original like crappy light no- light novel before you can play the alternative. Now you could just play alternative. So okay, if cool. I will quickly talk about uh, some another uh, show of um, people fighting uh, w- w- and things, which is the second core of eighty six. Um, I can't remember if you watched this the first season to the end or not, Jeff. Nope. I watched like the first four or five episodes and went, fuck this. (laughs) Um, So the good parts of 86 were that it had some sort of, of concept of the effects of war beyond the front line. The bad parts of 86 were that it just... Uh, doubled down on the front line stuff and just was like oh wow we've got amazing fighting robots and isn't it cool that they're child soldiers and season two season one ended with um basically the entire unit getting wiped out and us being all sad about that and season two starts with the entire unit not being wiped out guess what they're all fine don't worry we never actually see why they're all fine but we're told don't worry they're fine um and that kind of pissed me off to to get me started um it's like right okay it's not a, it's not a good foot to begin on yeah it's like if if you're going to frame the entire second half of your 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 first season on someone's personal quest for revenge uh, endangering his uh, comrades and and that quest actually ending and, and resulting in yes him finding closure but also th- them all dying because of that um okay fine that's that's a that's an ending at least that's that's that's, that's a choice but now they're all alive and that's that's just like someone wrote a, a book and suddenly realized they had enough audience for a sequel um it just feels so contrived um but the one interesting thing they have done with it is they've moved it from this um uh world war or this this french republic uh equivalent to sort of quick quick recap of the of the overworld plot is that you have this um San Magnolia Republic, which is kind of like a this massive walled city, which is uh, has heavy French uh, sort of influences in its styles stylings, uh, besieged by this massive um, robot army, which is called the Legion, which is basically the robotic army of a uh, a Prussia equivalent, which basically went rogue after they were ordered to go on the offensive and basically never stopped. Season two opens up in that. Prussia slash German equivalent country behind the front lines because it turns out like not all ev- everyone in San Magnolia assumed that this country had been wiped out, but it wasn't. It basically this entire legion had turned itself away from that, and they had small built rebuilt a small um, redoubt against this overwhelming threat. 
And so we get them basically using these child child soldiers from their uh, their opponents and basically saying, isn't it a disgrace that these these kids were made to do this? And they should be allowed to live normal lives, to go out in society and uh, uh, just do what, find something normal to do with their lives. And I thought that was interesting uh, to actually you throw that alternative out there to say, okay, you know what, you, you can, this is a horrible thing to do to a kid and and are you going to give them a, a chance for at least some of them to step away? Because there was always like the this this feel that at least some of them were so broken that they would always decide to go, they would always find a way to fight again, and sadly the thing is like they've their their um their way they resolve it is by just going well their loyalty to each other over well overrules any desire they have to live a normal life so that their, their desire to uh, maintain these friendships they built in in this uh unit and be sort of loyal to each other uh is this is just so much that they willingly go back to war and the rest of the, the series looks like it's just going to be following them going back to war and that's kind of disappointing to me that no one went fuck this shit i don't want to be a pilot of a, a mechanical spider death machine like everyone went yeah I'm, I'm for this and I don't know it's I, I give I think I've given 86 too many chances because it, it every time it does one thing interesting and then a half dozen things by rote and it, it and I get that one interesting thing hooks me and makes me watch a few episodes hoping that they might do something interesting again and then then they don't <laughs> so uh, i i should probably drop 86 but <laughs> there we go I'm not, but, maybe, but maybe you want to stay on board the train as it's wrecking who can say <laughs> uh, i just want to do a very very fast lightning round because i want to talk about hecky as well but i got three shows very quickly to go through uh sakugan uh daddy dutter gurn logan basically yeah. uh the robots are bad or the, the monsters look crap, but the rest of the show is quite a bit of fun. Uh, Mariko Chan is a girl can see ghosts for some reason, and maybe she's going to help the ghosts. Not sure. Seems like, okay. It starts off weirdly horny, but that seems to be mellowing out. And then John claims this is because it began as like a self-published uh, manga before it got picked up so I think the editor said maybe tone that stuff down because it's not really added anything to the, anything else and uh, Taisho Otome uh, which is like the heartwarming story of a girl who gets sold into slavery effectively to a sad boy with a broken hand in the Taisho era um, is mostly just like her fixing him and also his like bad family and maybe <laughs> hopefully life will be good for her too i i remember you joking about watching that i didn't know you were actually going to watch that one <laughs> uh, i just want to also but then i did add on the list of quick fire crap anime uh tact op dot destiny i think me and duncan both watched and uh it's bad it's just bad I mean, it's <laughs> it it is beautiful 
but it's bad, <laughs> which is sad. Like, it really yeah. has an incredibly good-looking first episode, but it's just completely and, vacuous behind that. And and beautiful soundtrack. Like, the, the, the way that they make classical music, I guess, enjoyable... It's beautiful and something that I recommend, I you know commend. But Jesus yeah. Christ, the show is like, uh, hello two thousands like Naruto anime. Like, I I am almost certain there's an audience for this show. Yeah. I a hundred percent believe that there is going to be some te- a lot of teenagers out there who would absolutely go gaga over this. Yeah. I was just not impressed or interested in the slightest. Yeah. It, the premise it's, basically basically is is that there's no music in the world anymore. And the reason why there's no music is because when you do music, monsters come and then you get attacked by big monsters who are going to kill everyone. But there's a person called a conductor and some weird robot doll thing who just eats for energy, but also sucks his energy away. Uh, yeah. Um, he and, it, he and when he has to do it, he plays the piano, but then loses an arm. Um, and, uh, and then he has to like command battle this stupid like robot doll thing and it's just not fun it's very cringeworthy every time like any joke happened it was cringy every time like they the doll spoke i cringed every joke i cringed and then by the time it was over i was i was just like i'm never watching another episode of this yeah, it, it kind of struck me as like bad Eureka 7. Um, yeah. Well, that's a, a weird cocktail of feelings to hear that being said, for me at least. <laughs> but it, it, it's a shame because it's got some cool stuff. Like the, the, the robot designs are cool. The character designs are really good. Um, I like the fact that they're sort of doing a road trip across America in like this weird destroyed wasteland. There's so many ele- elements of it that I love. But then the way that it's kind of wrapped up in this really cringeworthy like 2000 shonen uh anime wrapping it just makes me want to die inside um i mean ben there's 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 a there's a piano in the first episode and people have written on it saying stuff like one day i'll be able to play you again never forget the music and it's all in english and it all makes me want to curl up and die just saying those words it... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of like if you took the the sentimentality of uh, Carol and Tuesday and like put it in a weird uh, science fiction plot. I was going to mention Carol and Tuesday. Yeah, like anything where like music is dying out and we're going to revitalize it as a gang of like six people is always. But this is music isn't dying out. They literally can't play it because it attracts monsters. (laughs) It's dumb as fuck. Um. And another quick one, I think second season of, uh, or the end of the first season of Way of the House Husband, it's still funny, still good. Um, and I stand by the fact that a bet more budget, especially after watching Komi-san, more budget on a four coma is always a good thing. Yeah. It's budget. The fact that it's got, it's as beloved as like all these other shows that we've been mentioning and it's budget is dog shite and it looks like dog shite. Um, other quick things, uh, we've got Lup- Lupin the Third Part 6, which is more Lupin, if you like Lupin. Um, <laughs> this time he's fighting Sherlock Holmes. Um, and if that doesn't interest you, let's let's talk Blue Period, Andy. Uh, so yeah. Blue Period is basically uh, a show which is designed to hook me in because it's about the idea of... Uh, 
a uh, hardworking but not necessarily naturally talented student deciding he wants to uh, go to art, art college. That premise that he doesn't actually have that much natural talent and that we go we follow with him as he learns techniques and his limitations works really well for the format because yeah. there's this 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 idea that the worst person to explain any any technique is a virtuoso because to them it's it's like breathing whereas to someone who doesn't necessarily have natural talent but just works real hard can explain something because they have to do it step by step they have to build build up who they are and to um follow him as he is paints his first piece and just is able to express something which he isn't able to express elsewhere in his life and how freeing and unique that feels to him is is a great first first moment yeah. and then to explore it's, it's i wouldn't say it's been technical so far but yeah i, I guess would you say that Andy? It's, it's been sort of technical at least yeah, so Yaguchi is is like you said he he's been drawing just like a lot of still life models and references and it is technical in as much as like my wife who is an artist and and understands his pain is very much like yep yeah, no you got to do that yep yeah, no he, he's he's right you just got to look at a thing and draw a thing and um the, the but the advice that the the art teacher gives out um uh Sayaki um it's it's good advice like she is right in every every sense and it is really quite satisfying to see how like yaguchi comes into this art world and it it's it's one of these things where the wall that he's like ramming his head against is like yes you've you've, you've mastered to a degree technique but what you're not mastering is your own character and your own style that you're imposing on top of things and it's this sort of like where they are at now is this idea, idea of it's like, yes, you're imitating style, you're imitating art, but you're not being an artist because you're not applying your own feelings and thoughts and, you know, into the work. Uh, and which is, I guess, why that first piece, which is bad, like you could argue that it's bad, like it, it's it's not drawn very well. But the way that he applies this blue paint is is kind of expressive in a way that he wanted to show it. And even though he couldn't get to where he wanted to be, that initial sort of like spark was there, which set him alight to yeah. continue this journey. It, it's like him realizing that he he has something he wants to say, but he doesn't yet have the vocabulary to 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 say it in a way that others will exactly. understand. And and like I, I think that's a really important important thing for anyone who who wants to be in any creative art art, which is like having something you want to say and i think it's going to be interesting to to follow him because like i i will be i am a a sucker for for art and uh, like general creative industry uh, uh college shows like things like um uh, honey and clover and uh will 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 sort of draw me in but this this seems far more concerned with technique and uh the mechanics of art than just having like a a cast of of characters having college hijinks not that it doesn't have a strong cast of characters because some of them are uh are good like it's it's like notably probably the the strongest um one so far is uh, ryuji um 
who is a, a, a trans character who she she's a really uh she's basically his uh contemporary she's the same sort of age group as as him and she's struggling with both wanting to get into the same university as as him and also with the fact that who she wants to be as a a person and how she wants to express who she is inside is getting rejected by um people and that she can't live the the way she wants to like they had like yeah. t- typically the, the 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 way that um like she, there's a moment in the, the I think it's the third episode where she's yes. going on a date with someone and she, she, he rejects her because she tells him she's he's trans and he he give, gives her a hug before they they part and she gets really devastated and angry about that because it's like he felt like the need to treat me different because of who I am to console me rather uh, rather than and even though he was still rejecting me to 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 like make himself feel better about rejecting me for who I am and like that that feels like it had a a, a level of nuance you don't normally see in the reaction of a a character to a, a trans character even when yeah. it's a bad one like normally normally anyone when you see it it'll be like a very cliched oh they'll they'll be like oh my god it'll be like and it's easy to demonize those people but it's the person who tries to act nice but is still rejects who she is is a far more interesting thing to bring up i thought that that was very oddly placed i'm not saying that it was bad i'm not saying that they shouldn't have done it I'm just saying that the the tone of that was was weird. It was good and like it was affirming and it you know added depth to Yuji as a character, but I I was a bit confused as to why they really kind of like decided to broach it then. It felt like I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I maybe I'm just like but but that was like a real blindsider to a character that I I don't know I just I, th- I think she's she's sh- she's shown as quite optimistic quite he- like yeah. she's she's headstrong you like get this uh, impression of her as being like someone who pushes forward to get what she wants and I think this is to show like she still has a side to her which is not just like this this headstrong person who pushes through and get to achieve things like she can still get hurt like she has this um a side to her where she is emotionally vulnerable not she's not just like this tough tough person that, so i, I that's, think that, that's, that's important fair. to establish i i would also quickly well let, we'll move off move on this a bit but the two things i just want to quickly note um i really like the bit when they're in the museum and he was just like how do i look at art and it is an important thing because, like, you go to museums, and you don't necessarily know what to do, which sounds dumb. But then the way they're just like, not every art is going to speak to you. Just because it's hanging on a wall in a museum doesn't mean it's good or that it is important to you. You find the piece that does speak to you. And I thought that was really like good and interesting sort of observation. Um, the which uh, yeah. I, I don't it, know. It, it was it was really <laughs> it was quite cute that his his way of approaching it was okay where where would i put these pieces in my house and what would they make me feel and yeah, that that was that yeah. was cute 
Uh, and then also the other thing is is uh, it's weirdly low budget. Um, for sure, I mean, I get that a lot of like the art is probably not in public domain. I had a quick look on some of them, and it felt like the Picassos that they presumably are going to get into, considering they've hyped a Picasso. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think it was was it a Mordain that they went to? I can't remember. It's called Blue Period, also. So yeah, there's that. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, um, so. Like I imagine getting any of those rights to to show that art is going to be really expensive and difficult. Um, so I imagine that's why it's got like no budget for any of the animation. But I don't think it, I think that's strange. that's a little harsh on it. Like it's it's lows are really low, but it does still have some uh, uh, some highs. It's it's just like it, that integration it, of the three D models and the two D art is really jarring. Yeah, and but but even then, just just like I th- I think that there are parts where like you you look at when he looks at um her senpai's uh artist piece uh, when he looks at uh Mackie's art as a as an oil painting and the way that that is animated like an oil painting must have been presumably pretty expensive. So it's one of those things where you can clearly see where they've decided to spend budget. Um, but it it a lot of it does feel for a manga that is is you know. One Kodansha's seinen manga in 2017, and and has been kind of beloved and adored. You you would have thought there was maybe a little bit more budget behind it. Is basically my my feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, speaking of things with a budget, shall we just go on to Heike now? Uh, yes. Yeah, so this is a adaptation of Heike Monogatari, which is a the great medieval epic um, from the 12th century about the Genpei War. Uh, it is a lush, beautiful anime um, being made by Science Saru and being directed by Naoko Yamada, who is the director of Kaon and several other Kyoani uh, properties. Uh, I've enjoyed it enormously. I'm, even though I've never read the epic itself, I'm a big fan of the period it covers, and I think a lot of its choices, especially the interstitials, where they actually have a Biwa player singing passages from Heike Monogatari itself be wonderful. I I know that some people have some issue with how characters have been humanized in the epic uh, Taira no Kiyomori uh, is just like an inhumanly angry and evil person who is so, is so uh, full of like the heats of hatred and greed that after he dies, he like heats the water that they're using to preserve his body for burial. Um, and in this, he's much more like a outcast from an eccentric family episode yeah. in terms of being interested in things being a Moshiroi. I got uh, really but... strong eccentric family vibes <laughs> from this, probably partly because of um, mm-hmm. Shigemori being uh, uh, voiced by uh, Takehiro Sakuri, who's a uh, uh, one of the the main characters in uh, eccentric family yeah and there's a lot been a lot of hand wringing i feel like among the commentator class of like do can people understand is this not making Heike monogatari accessible enough are there too many are there too many characters is the is the way that they handle the cast is the way that they introduce people to obscure um maybe i'm just been trained to be able to understand this sort of story from my history background, but I found it to be engaging 
and fairly light on its feet. Um, I mean, I it's the first thing I watch when it comes out when I'm catching up on my anime for the week. Uh, but I know some people probably have found it to be a bit uneven and some stories to pop up and go away as they're trying to adapt this this massive epic that doesn't always focus on characterization and like a smooth arc of plot progression. But no, mm-hmm. I've enjoyed it. It's my it's the top thing I'm watching. And I wish that every medieval Japanese epic got a a lush science saru anime. <laughs> I think Oh, is it Science the... Saru? That's cool. Yeah. Nah, it's on my list then I'll watch it. <laughs> ah, yeah, I mean he made it. It's... He made the studio, but that's complicated. Anyway. I think the, the the one thing to say is I can understand how someone might have some trouble uh, distinguishing members of the cast because there is kind of... We're used to with anime, like, character design being clearly indicative of, of something. Like, it'll be like each person's defined by their haircut and their, their dress. Whereas here you'll uh-huh. have people who are all similar ranks in the court and so we'll all wear really similar dress. And... You'll have like, like normally like a, a hat we're not familiar with will be like an easy distinguishing characteristic or a particular haircut, and and here you've just got lots of people with really similar looking dress, and so it's finding the 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 personality and the vocal performance, and then distinguishing between those. That's that's where the cast does, and I think. Maybe that's more difficult for those of us who are watching it as in a second language with subtitles than it is for someone who would be watching it and not having to do that extra processing. Um, although, although the uh, the the Biwa sequences are given in the medieval Japanese, and there's been a lot of criticism about how they the person who's translating it is doing a bad job, doesn't understand medieval Japanese very well, and it's kind of giving weirdly slightly garbled translations, which is too bad, but something that I feel like is inevitable when you when you do have like ancient Chinese or ancient Japanese or ancient German showing up in in uh in translation. Mm. Yeah. And the only characters I've had trouble dis- differentiating are uh, Tokiko and Tokuko <laughs> who are like a wife and a daughter respectively, but who also look very similar with a weird like haircut that has like a strip of hair going across their forehead. Oh, I love that design though. And it, it's good, but those two characters look identical. <laughs> and it's it always takes me like half the scene that they're in to remember who, which one this one is. And even with the names, it's like, wait, is that Tokiko? Tokiko? I, like even now, it's looking at it. Like, I didn't realize the names were so similar. Like I'm relying largely on like the color of the kimono and you know the the manner of the the facial hair to distinguish characters right now. Other yeah. than Biwa, and Biwa is a character that's invented for the anime. This this uh, orphaned daughter of a of a wandering Biwa player whose father is killed by uh, by Tyra agents and has kind of joined the clan as a as a playmate and retainer um but yeah i don't know i'm I'm enjoying it a lot i don't have trouble telling the characters apart but i this is literally what my training is for so i guess that's <laughs> guess that's what that is uh does the actually ben here's maybe something you can answer does the the work have a a known author or is it an, an orphaned work i 
I would have to double check on that before I go on the record. I don't think it. Yes, it's a it's a an epic that's been passed down through oral tradition by Biwa players. So uh, there are a couple of theories of authorship, but there is no definitive author. It's like Homer uh, in that respect. Like we don't know really okay, who yeah. who is the the primary author. But the idea of Biwa existing as this kind of like abstraction of like lower class artists observing the slow but inevitable fall of this prideful noble clan that's overreached itself, uh, I think is a, is really great. Uh, is, is, is a perfectly fine device for, for telling this sort of story in anime. You said it was uh handholdy uh, out of interest. Do you think it, um, it becomes almost a hindrance? Do you think it slows the show down at all? No, I don't know what I don't know what question you're asking because I didn't I didn't say it's handholdy. I think it's actually pretty pretty uh, unrestrained in how it just like presents the historical events there, and you have to keep the fuck up about who's Tokuko and who's Tokiko, and they're not going to stop for you. They don't even explain uh, like a they don't even explain like a, the idea of the retired emperor, the cloistered emperor system, where Go Shirakawa is is no longer emperor. He's the retired emperor, but he's still controlling the the country's politics. Um, and his son is the figurehead and the ceremonial emperor, but then he gets cloistered too. And now there is now there are theoretically two emperors ruling in the name of a of an infant child. Uh, this sort of thing they they see no reason to explain, and I don't even know if that would be something that an average Japanese person would know or not. Right. Okay. I I was I sort of made the connection that this OG OC character is kind of like a bit of an impediment and is there to sort of explain mm. some things to. No, I don't believe, nah. believe so. It's more okay. about having someone who can be present for all of the important events of the show as like a viewpoint right. character. Right, right, right. One th- one thing I'm going to be interested in going forward is now that uh, Sh- Shigamori has has left the story, we've lost our one of our most sympathetic uh, characters within the Heike, and that's going to leave us with maybe just Tokoko as as like the the only person with like any who isn't a complete cad or or horrible and and is it going to be as as compelling to follow a story where they're all a bunch of ne'er do wells yeah and we already know that she's going to die because one yeah. of Biwa's abilities is that she if she looks at someone through one of her polychromatic eyes and she can then she can see that they're going to die at the final great battle of the of the Genpei war um and that's going to be basically the end of the Tyra. And that's why Shigemori dies, as he says, if my clan is going to fall, please, please take my life from me so I don't have to see it. And that he dies in the same episode. It's pretty rough. Sounds good. Sounds really good. It's good. It's good. No, it's, it's great. It feels like a, it feels like a classic. It feels outside of time, outside of the trends of anime development. But I've been enjoying it a lot. Next episode, tune in because we'll be talking about school anime. Specifically, why are so many anime school anime? And why do so many school anime not involve teachers and classes? Remember, rate, review, and subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Find us on Facebook. Search for Keyframes Podcast. Find us on Twitter at Keyframes Pod. Email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. And of course, tell a friend. But not just any friend, Ben. If I were you, I'd tell the friend that um, really <laughs> wants to go to an art university, but also can't speak. <laughs> and then, like, has really cute cat ears that come up every time she shows interest in anything. Uh, 
a beautifully animated. I do like I do like Comey's cat ears. Like it's it's I just pandering, it. but I I do like it. It's <laughs> so it's good. good. I'm I'm I am fan serviced. All right, say bye. goodbye everybody. Bye. bye. Goodbye. <laughs>